Welcome to a special edition of Hill Country Institute Live, Exploring Christ and Culture. This special edition is a call to pray for teachers, a call to pray for teachers both at the beginning of the semester and throughout the year. The prayer ministry of First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio is our partner in this effort to provide support for the difficult and character-forming and even society-forming role of the teacher. When we say teachers, of course, we mean from pre-K on through postdoc advising, including classroom teachers, coaches, band directors, drama coaches, uh, choir directors. So I think we're, we're thinking of so many people that are there, but they're all part of the educational process, and we want to be in prayer for all of them. So how important have teachers been to us? Well, in this radio program, we'll talk with a teacher who has a deep commitment to making a difference in the lives of his students, to help them to learn and develop as a whole person in Christ with moral character. I hope you'll stay with us and start to think about teachers you want to lift up in prayer. Would you like to have a service at your church this year? Get in touch with us so we can provide you and your church leaders support. I'm Larry Lennon-Schmidt, your host, and we're just glad to have this ongoing conversation about issues of concern to the body of Christ. We work through this radio program and podcast, through conferences and other events, and our ministry of online resources, which are there for free to help you engage the culture with the heart and mind of Christ. Today, our topic is education, particularly prayer for teachers, but in other programs and conferences, we draw on the works of C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, and we also spend time with people in ministries doing creative work to fight human trafficking, bring Christian thought and action to all areas of life, and even more with the heart and mind of Christ. So we invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, to use the free audio and video of past conferences and radio programs. And we also invite you to consider a donation so that we might continue these radio programs on air. The radio stations like to be paid, and your help is appreciated. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. Now, our special guest today is a committed teacher, as I mentioned. He works creatively to impact young lives by developing Christ-like character and critical thinking. He's known as a caring leader in education, both in the way he teaches and his encouragement of other teachers. So stay a minute, and I'll, I'll introduce Rob in just a moment. Our co-host today is Rick Lane, chairman of the prayer ministry of First Presbyterian Church, San Antonio. So welcome, Rick, and welcome, Rob. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Rob, I'd, I'd like for our audience to get to know you before we begin. Uh, Rob Shelton is our guest. Rob is a uh, headmaster of the Rhetoric School at Geneva School of Bernie. And uh, I'm, I'm just, we're going to talk about what a headmaster is and what a rhetoric school is and what the Geneva School is. But before we get there, Rob, uh, tell us what part of the world did you grow up in and how did you come to know Christ? Well, <clears throat> I would, the word I grew up is not easy. My dad was a uh, career military, so he was in the Army. So I grew up a lot of different places. I was born in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. ended up graduating from high school in Hawaii. So that was rough. <laughs> Had to spend my entire high school career in Hawaii, so you can pray for me on that as well. That's tough to do. And it was uh, actually listening to a military chaplain in Louisiana uh, where I uh, actually decided that I needed to follow Christ. And then through chapel ministries uh, in Hawaii and other bases, I, I slowly grew in Christ. Uh, it wasn't until after graduating from high school, however, that I started teaching high school students almost immediately. Okay. Uh, as is the case in most churches, it's through attrition. Mm-hmm. They needed someone, and I sure. didn't have the wisdom to say no, and <laughs> ended up uh, teaching. And it was then, because I had to teach, that the Scripture really opened up to me. And, uh, and then it was discovering C.S. Lewis. And it was my mother-in-law, actually, who helped me discover C.S. Lewis. Oh, Lewis. Yes. Uh, because she gave me a book that— uh, and I, she gave it to me. I had to read it. Of course. Uh, and it was mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point that I realized Christianity could hold its own in the marketplace of ideas, that it had muscle, that it had teeth. Yeah. And I didn't have to relegate it to a, just the faith portion of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
and it was during that time I was a, a youth pastor, and I was a youth pastor for 23 years before I started doing what I'm doing now. Wow. Well, I see that from your from your resume that you have two degrees from UT San Antonio. So how did how did your interest then? And what did you study, and how did that lead you to seminary? Because that's and, there's a piece there that's, exactly. that's going to be pretty interesting. And, and again, it was part partly through attrition. I wasn't able to go necessarily where I wanted to. Was, college was expensive, so I just went where I could. Mm-hmm. And my father retired from the military here in San Antonio. They still live here. Okay. Uh, so that was the school that was mm-hmm. here. I also have hours from the University of Central Florida, West Virginia. It's where the roots are for the family sure. in West Virginia. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, I was actually an engineering major at UTSA. And about halfway through that, in fact, in my junior year of mechanical engineering degree, I felt led to go into the ministry and changed to English because I knew that would help me with reading, Mm -hmm. writing. And it did. Mm -hmm. And it was after that, because I was working as a youth pastor, that I went to seminary. Uh, That's Southwestern in Fort Worth, Mm -hmm. although I did it, most of it, distance learning here in San Antonio. And then after that, because I figured, why not, I went ahead and pursued a master's degree in English at UTSA because I was here. Now, all that time I was ministering as a youth pastor at a local church here in town. Yeah, it, it seems, Rob, that you, in a way, you, you recognize some needs that you would have to go to seminary in your college days. Correct. And But the way you described it sounds like a precursor to thinking about Geneva School. So how does, how does the curriculum and the approach of Geneva School Tie together with some of the thoughts some you had of the things, in your college days. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's interesting that I, I always – it was actually when uh, – after reading Lewis and reading other people like David Wells mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps uh, Neil Postman, those sure. folks, that uh, a real watershed change in how I perceived student ministry mm-hmm. uh, changed, that, that, that really this needed to be a discipleship arm of the church. Uh, yes, we can have fun along the way, but – I felt really convicted about uh, students coming out of the ministry prepared to be in the marketplace of ideas as as thoughtful Christians. So it mm-hmm. started in the student ministry when I was still working at a local church. Uh, and then we had children. My wife and I had children, mm-hmm. and I started thinking about how I wanted them to be educated. That led me then to investigate uh, the then new movement of classical and Christian education. And it really uh, coincided well with what I was doing. In mm-hmm. discipleship with students, so over the years, uh, it just I slowly uh, it just slowly developed to where now I am doing what I'm doing. I still think of it as student ministry. However, I don't see myself as the head uh, educational administrator on campus, and I think most of the students and families would see me as a pastor on campus who happens to be in charge of discipling their students in an educational environment. Sure. One of, one of the things I learned from, from Francis Schaeffer with the line, you know, there's, there's an upper story and a lower story right. and how most mm-hmm. of us think. And, and I understand you to be saying that in education and in your spiritual life, there aren't distinct, they're, they're not Correct. separate. They're, Correct. They're, they become a whole, and by becoming a whole, then you're working to develop a person. That's exactly Christ, right. One of, one of the attractors, why people want to come to a school like ours, a classical Christian school, and not the we're on some pedestal of any kind that's but one of the attractors is that parents realize what they missed when they were growing up in education mm-hmm. and suddenly they discover wow i i could have been honing my mind and my spirit and and all of who i am to be more to be more of an advocate for the kingdom why did i waste all that time so that's what they want for their students 
So half of what I do is trying to convince the students they want to be there, <laughs> but it's really their parents <laughs> who want them to be there. But it's, it, yeah. is, it is the case. We, we live in a world that sort of has compartments for everything. You have your educational compartment, your church compartment, your workbook compartment, and part of our understanding of education, how we go about it, is that everything matters, that it's all interconnected, it's all, it all works together. Everything is part of your, quote, spiritual life, end quote. Yeah, well, I think it's Second Corinthians ten five. Every thought captive, and it, and it and it gets into the most deep, in, personal, intimate things that we think about, as well as as the broadest Correct. view of society, mm-hmm. culture, politics, music, art, movies. I mean, there's so much in movies today that, that tell exactly our right. stories. So, yeah. what do we do with that? And sure, that's part we even of have part of one of the classes that I teach is movie analysis for mm-hmm. worldview analysis. Sure. And they have to analyze movies to to see what's going on. Yeah, sure. And it's a and it's a great process. I mean, it's not it's not dissimilar from a literary analysis or literary criticism, but it's uh, it, it's very current. You know? And it's the most powerful voice out there right now. Yeah. You know, obviously besides social media, but uh, sure. Yeah, yeah well, but movies got, are the are the storytelling arm of our culture. You yeah. got the story told by multiple means. There, you know, the, correct. The, the, yes. the, the, it's moving images. It's uh, the way the characters are developed, it's the background mm-hmm. music. I mean, there's there's an intensity. Um, my wife and I recently have been watching The Book Thief, and she's watched it several times. It's a story about uh, what was going on in Germany before World War II. Mm-hmm. And it just enlightens so much about relationships. And you know, I'm just, just picking that. But it, it's, it puts you in a place, and it helps you to see what that person experienced. And so Certainly, you pull yes. out of that. Yeah. But uh, one, one point I want to uh, make for the audience we're at the Hill Country Institute and the, and the prayer ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We're very uh, supportive of any type of education, whether it's public school, private school, classical school, uh, homeschooling, charter schools. All, all, all are good in their ways. And we really want to encourage people where they are to be involved with their kids, to be involved in picking the right school. Uh, one of the best things I've heard about picking a school is that each parent, each semester, should think about where that student is best served. Is it in the public school? Is, are there things that in, in another school or, or in homeschooling that they need to pick up on that they would be best served by? So we are v- very excited about what Geneva's doing. And sometimes, you know, the affordability may be an issue or there may be th- other things that keep one from participating in that type of program. But it doesn't mean that a parent and a child can't work together to prepare that child to think and take every thought captive. So, Rob, you, you would echo that, wouldn't you? And that, certainly, you know. certainly. Yes, we're, we work in partnership with, you know, every educational arm. There are so many people on the front lines of education in public schools, at home school, mm-hmm. uh, that, that we want to see that as a partnership. We see our own school and what we do as a, as a niche that, it's, that satisfies what a lot of mm-hmm. contemporary Christian parents want for their students. But we recognize that uh, all education, uh, especially done in the name of Christ, wherever they are, is, is, is so, so important. Um, when Before my girls started attending Geneva uh, mm-hmm. School of Bernie, where, where, of course, where I work, and they graduated this year. Uh, That's fun. We, we homeschooled them after looking at other options, and we had to weigh those same same things, those same variables. And for us, where we were, when we were, that was the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and they benefited from it. And we have several students who transfer from public schools, home schools, uh, other Christian private schools. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, we understand that mission and, and fully support sure support that mission. So, so because in a classical environment you're you're approaching things in some unique ways that we'll talk about. You've, you've, you're doing some things that that might not be done in a different environment, but you still encourage parents to be very hands-on in thinking about how how do I build a spiritual formation of my child? How do I help them to be a critical thinker? How do I help them to think about worldview? Correct. Yeah. Uh, well, at our school, it, it's kind of built in. You have to sign a document that says you will do that, okay. and yeah. uh, and you come on board knowing that uh, the the philosophy of the school is that parents are held ultimately responsible for the education of their children. Mm-hmm. We're there to partner with them, uh, to help them to achieve that particular goal, but mm-hmm. we don't see ourselves as just just the neutral handoff. Yeah. Uh, parents must be involved with the education of their students. We believe that uh, parents will be rightly judged for for mm-hmm. that. Um, we call that in, in loco parentis. We are a classical school, so there's a lot of Latin floating around. <laughs> and that's not, you know, in loco parents, uh, but uh, but more <laughs> coming alongside parents, in the place of parents. But parents understand that they're the primary disciplers and educators of their children. And I think for all educators everywhere and for all parents everywhere, I think that's an important principle we need to get back to, mm-hmm. not just at a school like Geneva where we sort of make you, uh, but everywhere I think parents should should step up to the plate again and take a real uh, frontline interest in the education of their children. Talk about what's going on in the classroom and talk about it uh, substantively, deeply, as Christians. What, you know, uh, from a biblical worldview, what, what do these ideas and these things that you're learning mean? We have the opportunity at Geneva to do that in the classroom. That's, that's the, the, the actual manner in which everything is taught. We don't teach Christian subjects. Mm-hmm. We teach the standard things, but we try to uh, evaluate them from a biblical worldview. Sure. Yeah, Christians Christians need to think about philosophy and physics and exactly. uh, arithmetic and, and algebra. And they need and, to be the yeah. best thinkers about yeah. those things, yeah. not just to think about them, but to be the best ones. And that doesn't mean we stand you know, over and above the culture and, and act like we're holier than thou. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that we, with excellence, use the minds that God has given us to, to explore all of these areas. And that's what we try to encourage our, our students to do. So for, for parents in other environments, one of the, you know, as we're, as we're thinking about prayer, then uh, to be as full as possible in education in, in the way that students are helped, we need to be praying for parents. Exactly. I would say that's paramount. Okay. Uh, to pray for parents, especially in a, in a lot of situations, too, where we see the breakdown of what we would call the traditional family. And this is not to assign blame or, or anything, but because that is becoming so much more the norm, people see education as a thing that you just hand your kids off to to have accomplished on them, not as something that's a partnership, mm-hmm. that it's my job to be the educator as a parent. Sure. And because of the, you know, the climate in our culture, of the breakdown of so much of the family, it becomes more and more difficult uh, Mm -hmm. for that to happen. Uh, So, in effect, um, sometimes people we don't want to be the educators of our children are indeed the educators of our children. So it's a high calling. Yeah, and and, and in other environments, some of the assumptions about values that are made have to they really have to be overcome 
uh, exactly uh, and, and discussed and thought through with children. So if a parent's not involved, then it's a, it's a void, if you will. It is a void. Yeah. Uh, just the, the basics of what is right and wrong. What is a human being? Mm-hmm. How do we know what we know? Uh, what is the point and purpose of life? All of those questions are are assumed in our culture anyway nowadays to kind of be, well, we don't talk about those in, mm-hmm. in, in an educational setting. But they are talked about in an educational setting. Uh, when you read a book or you're doing math, you're, you're learning particular basics of how people perceive the world sure. and how, how we understand the world. We, of course, at Geneva are very um, upfront about those things. We make sure students learn some of the isms that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, or, or the ologies, you know, know yeah, your anthropology, okay. your metaphysics, uh, your theology, mm-hmm. those sorts of things mm-hmm. so that they understand um, every idea, every thought matters. Sure. Well, you, you, you have a distinctive in, in a classical approach. There's a word, word called the trivium, which uh, has another cool Latin sound to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell, tell us about the trivium. And whether, again, one, whether one's a classical educator or not, these thought processes of how you bring a young person into the fullness of their capacity. Correct. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so important. Sure. Um, well, without trying to bore everyone, uh, trivium is from the Latin. You can hear the tri, three, and via, or way. So the, the three ways. Uh, it used to be where three roads came together in a village. But it came to be known as those three pillars of a classical education or the, the three pillars of what we call the traditional liberal arts, and that's grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Now, originally, uh, Middle Ages especially, that would have been learning Latin grammar and learning then to argue in Latin and then present cases in Latin. Uh, today, they are distinct subjects, but also seen as going hearkening back to a more traditional understanding of how a young person is educated. So when children are younger, they learn the grammar of subjects, you know, the nuts and bolts, the dates, when their minds are ready in sponges to memorize and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So we call our grammar school, our elementary school, grammar school, and emphasize that, even, even starting Latin as early as third grade, mm-hmm. so that uh, when they are able and are eager to learn these things, they do. And then when students, of course, progressed and want to start arguing, uh, usually around <laughs> junior high, uh, we have we we don't discourage that. In fact, we teach them the basics of how to argue well. So that's the logic understanding. If you're going to argue, do it well. Do right? it right. Yeah. And parents often will will write us and tell us how, how. Thank you very much for that because now I don't win arguments at home anymore. Or, and they're usually sarcastic <laughs> about it, as in thank you very much for that. Um, so we encourage them to develop those those skills in uh, in logic both uh, formal and informal. And then when they get to high school, uh, when they have things they want to say, we want to try to teach them how to say them well, either in writing or orally. And uh, so we call that the rhetoric stage. Hence, my position is called rhetoric school headmaster, which is a fancy way of saying high school principal. Sure. But it's, and it's not the only things we emphasize, of course, but uh, those three pillars uh, form sort of not just a subject foundation, but more of a curricular foundation in the sense of how how other subjects are taught, where where we're focusing our attention. And the, mm-hmm. the whole intent is to harken back to uh, how people used to be educated. That's, that's really where we're going. Mm-hmm. This is nothing new. We're just kind of resurrecting how people used to be educated all the time. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
C.S. Lewis said he was at his best when he was the least original. <laughs> Correct. And, and I think there yeah. was something something to that. Uh, in in terms of again going going back, Aristotle wrote about character formation being developed, practiced, taught by parents, and taught by community. Um, so. How does the Geneva Way do that? Because it sounds like it's in the midst of it. And how, how can we encourage other people that maybe aren't blessed to have this educational program to think about this character formation as part of the student development? Yeah, um, that's difficult. The minute you make character formation a program, you're going to ruin it okay. because kids will sniff it out, especially high school students. They know when, they know when something's up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got to be careful about not making it programmatic. Uh, now we're going to do these things for character and virtue formation. Uh, if you want them to turn off, that's when it will happen. Sure. So with our teachers and our whole community, our school community, we recognize that that's the background noise of everything we do. If everyone's on the same page of knowing that every decision matters and that no ideas are neutral, character formation happens along the way. So our teachers recognize, and when they're hired, I make sure they understand that their subject teachers second they are mentors and followers of Christ first. And that's their real, that's mm-hmm. their real calling. Mm-hmm. And parents want that. And parents recognize that, uh, that again, that's, that's the environment their, their students are in. And that goes for coaches and choir teachers and theater arts directors. Everybody recognizes that they are there to mentor and disciple first. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah. In the public in the public schools, I know the choir director and the coaches had a big impact on me. You know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of formation, they were people I observed. Um, coaches had a way of you know kicking you in the rear and, and patting you on the back at the same time. That's exactly right, and yeah. I, it doesn't matter the educational environment. When you yeah. make it a program, you ruin it. Mm-hmm. It's the people that make mm-hmm. this happen. Uh, Christianity, by its very nature, is imitative. You know, we we learn yeah. through imitation, through learning under men and women who came before us. And that's how our students learn to exercise these virtues and become virtuous people mm-hmm. and, and more mature followers of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you should mention sports, and it, that's why in a school like ours, even though we emphasize the things of the mind, sports are important because those are avenues and arenas for that development of character. Yeah. So we don't, we don't reject that either because that's a necessary part sure. of growing up young men and women of Christ. Two a days in the Texas heat. That's that a, will yeah. build you unlike anything else. <laughs> It'll take the weight off, that's for sure. <laughs> well, C.S. Lewis um, is, is obviously a part of your life and a part of the, the curriculum development, but he, he wrote about uh, men without chests. And so the whole thing we're talking about, uh, you might talk about that phrase, and I mean, it's a little redundant here, but but it, but it captures it, I think. You know, Aristotle's a little bit outside of Christian thought, but C.S. Lewis is in the mainstream. And so what makes it Christian for us to, to step in and develop chests? Yeah, of course, the context there is, you know, he was critiquing in his book, Abolition of Man, this whole idea of, you know, uh, divesting the world of any absolutes. or, mm-hmm. or uh, and, and, of course, he, he said we laugh at honor and then are shocked to find traitors. Yeah in our midst. And uh, so much of why I think people are looking for alternatives to, to public education, as it's currently practiced, is because uh, traditional understandings of, of honor and truth and, and goodness are, are, are laughed at, being denigrated. And, 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 and people want more than that. 
they want to hearken to to this, recognizing that we do indeed create men without chests when we think we can neutrally teach or neutrally talk about values, if we mm-hmm. want to use that word, instead of virtues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he, even then when he was writing this, I guess it was in the 40s, he delivered it as a lecture in the 40s. Yes. Uh, he was yeah. already on to onto what we see today. Yeah. Exactly right. And that's it was pre-science. Didn't yeah. Pre-science. Yeah. And that's why people, I, I think, are looking for alternatives yeah. as well, not just for the educational part of it, but because they do recognize that their, their boys and girls, their mm-hmm. children, these young men and women need to be young men and women of, of, of vigorous and robust uh, character, virtue, men with chests. Yes. So, yes. so I think, you know, as we're, we're going to try to sum up some prayer at the end, uh, but I think it's an ongoing concern where everyone's being educated that they would develop real virtues, that they would understand uh, what it means to, to, to be Christ-like and to think in a Christ-like way about whatever the exactly. topic is. So that's what that's a big part of our prayer. So the, the program is uh, broken into two sections, and we need to take a brief break now. I want to invite you to visit the website of the Hill Country Institute. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. We have recordings and videos from past conferences and radio programs. Uh, topics include the spiritual formation of C.S. Lewis, faith in science, and faith in art. Speakers include Eugene Peterson, Alistair McGrath, Andy Crouch, uh, Dallas Willard, and many others. And if you're looking for gifts, the CDs and DVDs make wonderful gifts. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. And we also invite you to visit our pages that are set up for prayer for teachers uh, to hear this program by podcast and to find resources for your own prayers and even to have your own prayer uh, service for teachers at your church. We ask you to consider supporting Hill Country Institute in order to keep this program on the air and to offer the other programs of the Hill Country Institute. That's hillcountryinstitute.org. We'll be back shortly. 